So uh, whether it is marriage, extended family, a relationship with children, coworkers, church friends, friends in, in your life, school friends, the stress of the past several years has taken its toll and it has strained relationships. Now, as we said last week, there are times that you can't save a relationship and that, perhaps that's one of the most painful experiences that we're going through now. About a week and a half ago, Vice ran a story entitled, Christian Nationalism Drove These People Out of Their Churches. Christians from around the country who spoke to Vice News said they've witnessed their congregations lose focus and slide into Christian nationalism. I know some of you have experienced that, and that's why you're here over the past few years. And and you had church friends, and some of you were Sunday school teachers and very involved and had somebody here who was a part of a church from the beginning of that church's existence. And they changed so much over the last few years, they just couldn't, they said, I couldn't, I just can't go there with you. I can't go the direction I see you going. And so there are times that boundaries need to be set in relationships. And there are also relationships that we we want to grow closer in, where we know we can have a healthy relationship. We believe we can. We believe it can be better. And we need to reconnect. But these times that we're living in make it so difficult to do that. Just to uh, remind us of the importance of healthy relationships in our lives. We quoted this last week, but it's, it's worth quoting every week, really. Robert Waldinger is the psychiatrist and currently uh, director of the Harvard Study of Adult Development. It's one of the most comprehensive studies of emotional well-being in history. They've been studying well-being since the 1930s. And he writes this about relationships. Good relationships keep us happier and healthier, period. When we gathered together everything we knew about these participants at age 50, it wasn't their middle-aged cholesterol levels that predicted how they were going to grow old. It was how satisfied they were in their relationships. The people who were the most satisfied in their relationships at age 50 were the healthiest at age 80. Isn't that amazing? Good relationships don't just protect our bodies, he says. They protect our brains. And so this series, Reconnect, is about learning skills to renew, repair, or restart strained relationships in our lives. We're going to discover what Scripture says about creating healthy relationships and setting boundaries where needed. Here's where we're headed. Last week, we talked about conflict resolution. Today, we're talking about communication. And the next week, connection, specifically in romantic relationships next week. We're going to talk about connecting with that person, being vulnerable, and connecting with them on a deep emotional level and growing closer together. Uh, and then August 14th, compassion. And this is our relationship with everybody, our, uh, everybody we meet. As we go into this fall, a difficult election season in the United States, when, when it's going to be 
flaring up again, everything that's been happening in our country, how to have compassion as much as we possibly can on everybody that we meet. So last week we started with conflict resolution. We said that conflict starts with an unmet need. Do you remember that if we were here? And when we experience a conflict, we ask, what is my unmet need that I want met? And then this person in my life, what is their unmet need that they want met? And a lot of times our arguments really are just ways of of not stating our unmet need because we're afraid. We're afraid to be vulnerable. We're afraid of being rejected. We're afraid that it'll blow up and get worse. And so instead of just vulnerably saying here, I need you to do this. You know, I, I, I love you. I need to be close to you. I need you in my life. I need to spend more time with you. We say things like, you're never home. And you don't do this right. And you always do this. And those are ways out of fear of us trying to get around just speaking the truth and saying, I need you. It's, it's an unmet need often that is behind conflict. And so what is my unmet need? And how can I express that in a healthy way? What is this other person? It could be a, work, a coworker. It could be a spouse. It could be a church friend. What is their unmet need? And how can we meet each other's needs? So conflict isn't something to be avoided, we said last week. It's an opportunity to say, what are the unmet needs that we can meet for each other? And that's a radically different view of conflict, isn't it? That many, uh, than many of us have. And today we're talking about communication. Uh, also, like I said last week, I'm a fellow journeyer on this path. My wife is sitting in the front row. I can't pretend to be an expert this morning. She, she has me found out. Already, so I'm a fellow journeyer along with you in life. If I acted like I'm an expert, I'd get home and she'd be like, uh, are you sure about all that? So um, I, can't even, I can't even act this morning, but what I can do is share out of my own experience. I can share what scripture says. I can share from the wisdom of others, and we can learn together, uh, including me. So um, I want to start with this. We have two cats and uh, Stella and Luna are their names. I have a, a cat photo to show you. You feel like you're scrolling through Facebook right now, don't you? Looking at cat photos. So Stella and Luna, and let's see, that's Luna on the left. She's the fluffy one, and Stella is the one on the right. And Luna, I think of as, as a typical cat. And um, in my ignorance, you know, I'm not necessarily a pet expert, but I think of Luna as a typical cat, like kind of standoffish sometimes kind of independent, does her own thing. And Stella is just the opposite. Stella thinks she's a puppy. Now, maybe that's typical of some cats. I don't know, but Stella plays fetch. She comes around. She's always, she always wants to cuddle. She, and she is incredibly vocal. Stella meows a lot. And I work from home. So throughout the day, Stella meows. And so we take her to the vet. And there's nothing wrong with her. She's not sick. She's fed. She's watered. She's spayed. And so... You know, she doesn't show any signs of being sick, but she is very vocal, and, and I'm probably enabling it by I get, getting up and petting her and, and attending, you know, but her ability to meow outlasts my patience to just listen to her meow. And, and so she'll meow until I go see her, and she'll walk to a certain place, usually in the kitchen, which means she probably wants a treat, and she'll sit down on a, a kind of a mat we have on, in the kitchen, it's kind of soft, and then she'll just flop, and she'll want petted. And so I'll pet her for a few seconds, and then sometimes I'll start to walk away, and she'll hit my leg with her paw. Like, come back, and, and we're, not, we're not done. Or I'll go back to my, my office at home, and I'll hear her meow again in a few more minutes. And, and so, you know, is there something wrong with her? You know, why is she so vocal? And well, one thing that you probably need to know about Stella is that Stella was the runt. 
of the litter. And I have a picture of her soon after we got her, just a little furball. And, and Hannah got uh, Stella and Luna from a friend and, and brought them home. And there's little Stella. I mean, she was so tiny. Like I looked at her, I thought, you know, is she going to survive? Is she, is she going to be okay? And I did some reading about runts. And it turns out that some runts are really vocal. And when you're the, the runt of the litter, if you're not vocal and you're not a go-getter and a fighter, what happens? You die. And so the fact that she meows all the time and that she wants attention and that she wants petted all the time and she's always coming around us and pawing at us for attention, that probably is what made her survive. And so this thing that I, I could look at her and think of her as annoying and she makes a lot of noise, it was actually her ability to communicate that saved her life. And so as silly as it sounds, I have respect for this little furball because she, in, in her communication, her personality that has wired her in this way, her desire to communicate all the time is what saved her life. Now, for some of us, we're, we're more like Stella and we want to communicate. We want to be vocal. We want to talk about what's going on. We want to sort things out. Others, we're a little more like Luna, and we're, we're kind of independent. We don't necessarily communicate. We keep our cards close to the vest. It's not natural for us to share openly uh, like it is with, with some other people. And so as we talk about communication today, we just have to start by saying different strokes for different folks. For some of us, we're just different people. But for all of us, communication is important. That doesn't mean if, if you're more like Luna, that doesn't mean that you're going to instantly become a Stella. But it does mean that in our own way, according to our own personalities, we can develop communication skills that are better and better and that, help, that can help us reconnect with our relationships. So as the old saying goes, communication is the key. And so it is absolutely imperative that we learn communication skills. And you can find lists of communication skills on the internet. And it's absolutely imperative that we learn negotiation skills in any relationship. And you can find lists and lists of negotiation skills on the internet. You could go home today and Google communication skills. And if you spent a half an hour, I mean, you could better yourself and your relationships by looking through those lists. You could look at negotiation skills. You should learn the personality types and the love languages of the people in your life. How many of you know what the five love languages are? Come on, really, hold them up if you know. All right, now put them down. How many of you know what yours are? A few, right? maybe a third. And so you could Google love languages. And, and it's not scientific, but in my experience, I think it's helpful. And in, in your significant relationships, in your friendships, even work relationships, you don't have to have a romantic relationship with somebody to know how they give and receive love, what that looks like for them. It could be acts of service or words of affirmation, right? If you remember some of those. And so you should know. The personality type, Myers-Briggs or Enneagram or Spark type of the people in your life. And those resources are everywhere. And if you, for an example, if you Googled communication skills, when you get home, you might see a list that looks something like this. Number one, practice active listening. And, and see, we don't have time to go through a list like this today. But active listening means that you can verify that you've heard correctly what the other person has said. It's extremely important. When you talk, you can use I feel statements. Instead of accusing somebody, you can say, you know, when you do this, I feel like this. And so you're really talking, you're owning it. You're talking about your own feelings. When you 
work all the time, I feel alone and sad because I love you and I miss you and I need you in my life, right? Instead of saying, you're gone all the time. So I feel statements. Uh, pay attention to nonverbal communication. What, what is your facial, ex- facial expression? Are your arms crossed when you're having a discussion with, with people in your life? Negotiate and compromise. How can you both give and take? How can you both win? Uh, if, if things get heated, use a cool-off period of one hour and come back and, and circle back and talk some more. So you can find lists like that all over the Internet. Or I'd be glad to refer, to, uh, refer you to a counselor where we could talk about communication skills and negotiation. These are vitally important. And all of us should learn these skills. Now, what I want to talk about today, though, is something that I think is deeper than these things. These are absolutely vital. And you and I need to learn these skills and practice them. But as a pastor, over the past 20 years, one of the things I've experienced is that you'll have folks who look at that list and they want to do those things. And it sounds good. And maybe they'll go to a counselor and they'll learn how to, how to use I feel statements. And in the counseling office, they'll say, you know, yeah, when you're, when you're gone a lot, I feel sad and I feel alone because I, I want you in my life. I need you and I want to spend more time with you. And it's great. And they can cry in the counseling office because they've learned how to make I feel statements. And then they go home and a couple hours later, it's like, I feel like it's all your fault. That's what I feel. And, and things devolve into the way that it was before the counseling session. So there are, there are skills that we need to learn. But in my experience, there are things that are underlying deeper issues often. And those are the ones that I want to talk about today. Now, a counselor can help with, with things like um, depression and anxiety or personality disorder. How many of you realize you could have a thyroid imbalance and that can affect your relationships? So our bodies are made of chemicals. And if you're struggling, you could go to the doctor, you could go to a counselor, and they can help you to address these things. But some deeper issues... Uh, that I want to talk about today, I think are ones that if we don't take care of, then we're not able to do these things. Or these things ring hollow. Maybe you're in a place in your life and your relationships where you look at this list and you're like, please, I, w- I, wish. I wish. I wish it were as easy as, as a few steps. And so if that's you, I'm talking to you today. And I'm talking to all of us because the things that we're going to talk about today make all of this possible and make all of it easier. So what does scripture say about healthy communication in addressing the deeper issues that are, that are even deeper than these, these skills? So I want to share a couple of scriptures today. The first comes from the New Testament letter to the Ephesians. This was a letter written to a group of followers of Jesus who lived in the Greek city of Ephesus. And Ephesians uh, is all about how to get along with each other. In a church congregation, in your family, in your extended relationships, how can we get along? It's about navigating human relationships. So Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25, says, uh, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Verse 27, and do not give the devil a foothold. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for, for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, 
brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. There's that word, that F word, forgiving each other. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. So I think a passage like this begins to address some of the deeper issues. And what we're really talking about here are decisions, choices, values, commitments that we make in life. Not about the other person and all their problems. Not about what they're doing that that is messing up our relationship and we're so sick of. These address who we are and who we choose to be. And implicit here is we have a choice. Sometimes you might feel powerless in your relationship. What am I supposed to do? They're the ones with all the problems. You know, how, how can I fix this? Well, these things that we're talking about today are about us. Who are we? And how does that help us to be healthy communi- communicators? So first of all, if we're dissecting this passage, what do we see that can help us to be healthier in our communication and reconnect with the people we love? Well, first of all, we can be forthright because we value honesty. So these are choices that we can make. I can choose in my communication with anybody, no matter what is going on, no matter what they have done, no matter who they are, who I am, is this. I can choose to be forthright because I value honesty. So to be forthright is to be honest and direct, isn't it? It's to be upfront. It's, it's, now, by direct, we don't mean mean. We don't mean insulting or accusatory. To be forthright is just to say it. To just address it, not run from it, but it's to be, and, and not cover things up, not, not uh, whitewash things, just to directly and honestly address whatever is happening here. And the value question here is, am I somebody who values honesty? So once again, we could, we could think about relationships that are really trying for us and all the things that person does that we don't like. But here in Ephesians, we're talking about us. Do I value honesty? If so, I'm going to be forthright. I'm going to be direct and upfront in my communication with everybody. Ephesians says, speak truthfully to your neighbor. Who's your neighbor? Everybody. Including people that we have problems with. As hard as this is, it says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. So when is the right time to communicate? Now. What's the way to communicate? Honestly. To be forthright. So healthy communication begins with communicating with the actual person in in your life, with that person, and as soon as possible, appropriately, and directly and honestly with them. That's where communication starts, and that's my decision. Am I the kind of person who is going to communicate in that way? Well, why is this hard? Because it sounds so easy. Why is it hard to be forthright? It's the same thing that we said last week, fear. We fear the person's reaction. We fear rejection. We fear if I'm direct with this person, if I just say what's on my mind, not in an insulting way, but I'm just honest with them. They're going to they're gonna reject me or they're going to leave or things are going to get worse. Or now it's going to be a custody battle. Or now I'm going to get fired. Or I'm going to get written up. Or I'm going to have to find a different church. You know, we just have fear that keeps us from being forthright and honest and vulnerable with people. But I love this, this meme. I saw this in somebody's Facebook feed this week. Caring about what people think of you is useless. Most people don't even know what to think about themselves. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? We can be preoccupied with how other people view us. I love that. 
And, and what's going to happen if we're honest about who we are and what we think and how we feel and we're afraid? Most people are more insecure than we are. <laughs> if, if you're at least thinking about it, you're probably farther ahead than they are in communication. And so there's just no reason to fear being forthright and being honest. So when we're too afraid to communicate, of course, we stop having a healthy relationship with that person. And then our relationship can just spiral downward very quickly. Psych Central has a marriage and communication section that says this. Often the communication rut leads to breakdown when criticism, contempt, stonewalling, or defensiveness becomes frequent in their communication. Uh, says Jeannie Marie uh, Battison, a licensed marriage and family therapist located in Burbank. Criticism and contempt can lead to a shutdown of communication and an unwillingness to find a path forward. So she's saying when forthright, honest communication is not happening, criticism, contempt, stonewalling, gossip, and defensiveness take its place. It's not like when, when we refuse to be forthright and honest with people that we just coast through life forever pretending everything's okay. There are people who can do that for a long time, but not forever. And so what usually happens is we don't deal with it directly and forthrightly with the person that we're having a a relational issue with. We don't communicate with them directly. We tend to go to other people. Isn't that true? And we, we, we vent to other people. We talk to other people about what we don't like about this person, what, what annoys us, what, what bothers us. And instead of being forthright and honest with that other person, we talk to other people about it. And then things just get worse and worse. And so Jesus says in Matthew chapter 18, maybe you've heard this before. If your brother or sister sins, if if somebody's hurt you, if they've done something that's wrong to you, go and point out their fault. Let's say the next part. What? Just between the two of you. Let's say that again. You guys ready? Let's say it again. Just between the two of you. Boy, you think that's important? Just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. We're communicating. Oh, awesome. This is, and, and how many times would that be the case? Probably the majority of the time, depending on what's going on. Like we said last week, there are times you can't reconcile. There are times you can't communicate with people. Some people don't want to communicate. You can't have a relationship with everybody. But probably the majority of the time, step one would take care of it right there. You've won them over. Verse 16, but if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. 17, if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the whole church. (laughs) Facebook, I guess. I don't know. But that just means, okay, well, this is what's happening now. I've gone to that person. We can't resolve it. Maybe I did involve a couple of trusted friends. That didn't resolve it. So now, okay, now everybody does know that we're having this issues. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, this is a great line, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Sorry if you work for the IRS. And this time, that that meant set boundaries. Okay, this is somebody who is kind of, they don't want to have a relationship with you. So step one, you go to the person directly. And if they listen to you, you've won them over. You've reconnected you both win. Beautiful. If they don't listen, you involve a couple of friends. And then if, if that doesn't work, well, then, you know, everybody that does know. And then it's time to set boundaries. So who do you communicate with first? Just the other person. You be forthright and honest with the other person. Now, 
I'm sure you know this as well as I do. This, this simple verse, so simple. When, when folks don't do this, it tears apart marriages, it ruins office uh, politics or office situations, it, it tears apart churches. Do you all realize the importance of this? Do you? Do you realize the importance of just going to somebody directly and just being forthright and honest, not because of who they are, but because of who you are? I want to be an honest, forthright person. And you know, hey, we, we've got this situation here. I just want to clear the air with you. Or I just want to spend more time with you. Any, and whatever it is, the unmet need, whatever it is that needs to be communicated, just going to that other person first, it would solve so many relational issues and it would prevent so much spiraling out of control that, that leads to ruin relationships if, if we just went directly to that person because we want to be forthright and value honesty. Why is it so important? What happens if we don't? And if we, if we go to other people, and whether it's work, and, we, and we, we talk, instead of talking about the person we have an issue with, we go talk to other coworkers about it, or we, we talk to somebody else about our spouse, or we, we vent about that church person with these people over here, and what happens if we do this? Well, if you search for relationship advice on the internet now, um, which I've, I've discovered here the last few weeks preparing for this sermon, you quickly realize, whether it's YouTube or articles, the buzzword now in relationships is narcissist. Are you aware of this? So uh, I, I was not aware of this, but I guess this is like the thing. If you, if you go on YouTube and you search for relationship advice, you're going to get all kinds of videos on how to deal with a narcissist. Do you know what a narcissist is? Like a narcissist is somebody who's completely self-absorbed. They just use other people. They're kind of con men. It's all about feeding their insecurity. Narcissists can do a lot of damage. But you go on YouTube and, and there are all these videos. I mean, it's like, it's going to be half of the videos you see are going to be how to deal with a narcissist. And what do you do if your ex is a narcissist? What do, if you do, what do you do if your spouse is a narcissist? What if your coworker is a narcissist? Everybody's a narcissist. And so I want to say, though, you know, like I said last week, a sermon is a broadcast. So I don't know your unique story. It could be that you dated the biggest narcissist in the world. And if that's true, that is a horrible experience. And, and that did damage to you. That hurt you. And I, I empathize with you. I want you to hear that. I don't know your story. And that could be you. A sermon is a broadcast. Now, statistically, though, what we know is about 2% of women and 2% of men in society are narcissists. So if you date somebody or you know, that coworker, or whatever, you have a 2% chance of interacting with a narcissist. But if you go on YouTube and you look for relationship advice, like everybody's ex is a narcissist. Everybody's spouse, if they're having trouble, their spouse is a narcissist. That church person, they don't like, they're a narcissist. Statistically, you, know, you have a 98% chance of that not being true. But it just seems like everybody's a narcissist when you look at relationship. What has happened there? You know, I, I care about people I, as a pastor, I, and I want to understand relationships and, and our marriage and my church relationships. What's going on when everybody thinks that everybody else is a narcissist, apparently, on YouTube? What's happening? Well, doesn't it look something like this? Most people, out of fear, are afraid to communicate, forthrightly and honestly. We don't like conflict. We think it's bad. We fear rejection. 
So we go over and we talk to these people about it. <laughs> Instead of talking to the person that we actually need to talk with, we go talk to these people. And then we say, I can't believe it. This person said this. And they're like, no, they did not say that to you. Because when you go to your friends, who are your friends going to side with? Who, who are the coworkers you like? The church people you like? Who are they going to side with? You know, they, you're your friends. They want to support you. They think they're helping you. And so, and so you say something, instead of talking to that person directly and forthrightly and honestly, you go over here, and, and they say, oh, I can't believe they did that. Yeah, I know. And then it's just back and forth. And before you know it, it just escalates and escalates. And this person over here is just getting worse and worse and worse. And this goes on for a few weeks. And then this person, maybe it was just a little beef or a lack of communication. And it could have been taken care of with forthrightness and honesty. Now this person is the spawn of Satan. Because it's just, it's just gotten worse and worse and escalated. And, and they don't deserve you. You deserve so much better. And you, you're, they're, they think they're helping you. Your friends, your coworkers, your church friends. They think they're helping you by saying those things. You deserve so much better. They're a narcissist. They think they're helping. But what's actually happening is this person, who's another human being, probably not a narcissist. You're probably not either. This person's being demonized. And you are getting a false sense of who they are and a false sense of your own relationships, a false sense of you and your ability to relate to other people. And, and, and the relationship is just getting pulled farther and farther and farther apart and nastier and worse and worse and worse. And it is all sadly unnecessary, completely unnecessary. And it could have been prevented with forthrightness and honesty, just going to that person saying, you know what, we, I need to talk to you. I feel, and I, you know, I have this need and I want to express that to you vulnerably and honestly. And all of that would have been prevented. And, and by the way, when you go to your friends or those church people or your coworkers and they're, you, you know, oh, I can't believe that person. They're terrible. You deserve better. I can't believe they did that to you. They think they're helping. But here's what you can do. If somebody comes to you to vent about their marriage or their church conflict or their work problems, you can listen to that person. If you want to be a wise, loving, emotionally intelligent person who values forthrightness and honesty, instead of pouring gasoline on the fire and basically pushing somebody to a divorce or, or pushing somebody to take drastic action that affects their relationships or their job, you know, I know you think you're helping, but instead of doing that, a wise, loving, emotionally mature person says this. I'm so sorry you're going through that. I can see the pain that you're feeling. And then the very next thing you say, have you guys thought about going to counseling? Like if it's a marriage, if your friend is venting about their marriage, please don't be the person who hears one side of the story and then pours gasoline on the fire. You won't be the, let me just speak to you honestly, because I see this, this kind of thing happen all the time. You won't be the person paying alimony. You won't be the person in the custody battle. You won't be their children trying to figure out why, why their parents are getting a divorce. You won't be the person starting over again single and trying to figure life out again. Don't be the person who pours gasoline on the fire. If, if you're an emotionally mature, wise, and emotionally intelligent person, you say, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. You are going through a lot of pain. And then the next words out of your mouth. Have you guys tried counseling? Especially, obviously, if it's a, a marriage or something like that. Have you, guys, have you guys thought about counseling? 
And if your friend says, what, counseling, I, I asked and they won't go. It's their problem anyway. They're the ones who, who's messing everything up. And you can say, because this is true, you know, I've heard if one person goes to counseling in the couple, it can change things in ways you would be shocked. And, and so what that, what that does is it acknowledges the truth with forthrightness and honesty. You know, I'm a pastor. I went to seminary for four years. I had some counseling classes. I'm not qualified to counsel somebody through major issues in their life. I'm not qualified. And so that response says to them, I love you, I empathize with you, but have you tried talking to somebody who's qualified? Because I'm not qualified. Because I care for you. I don't want to give you advice that screws up your life because I'm your friend and I care for you. That's what an emotionally wise, loving, emotionally intelligent friend says. When you value forthrightness and honesty. So speak truthfully to your neighbor. And then secondly, Ephesians says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. It says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. So unhealthy communication is angry and accusatory. It's based on assumptions, misunderstandings. It can turn to slander. It can become malice when we try to hurt somebody because we're being defensive. And, and so the second thing we could take away is that are deeper than just communication skills, but commitments, who we are, what we value. I can choose to be fair in my communication because I value human dignity. I can be forthright because I value honesty. And then I can choose to be fair because I value human dignity. When I was around 16, I got involved in a, a youth group in a little Baptist church in my hometown. And, and a couple of guys in that youth group became my best friends. So like in my late teen years, my best friends weren't even in my school. They were guys in my, in my youth group. And I grew close with these guys. And one of these guys came from a pretty rough home. And, and his parents had just a lot of issues they were dealing with. And, he, and of course, he had just the teenage years on top of that to deal with. And so he was just kind of always on the edge, on the edge of, of depression uh, and, and just, just struggling in life. And one time we were at a youth event at the church and, and the same guy, like he said a cuss word uh, in, front of, in front of the youth leaders. And, and, and the youth leaders, they were good people, but they were they just weren't able to engage with him about the deeper issues in his life and his home life and, and help him and love him and walk with him through his family situation. And so they just kind of focused on outward behaviors. And so he said a cuss word and, and one, of the, one of the youth leaders gave him the Mike Brady look. You remember that from the Brady Bunch? Like the, the way Mike Brady would look at Greg or Jan, like he kind of with his face down with his eyes up, now Greg, now Jan, now Marsha, kind of gave him the, the Mike Brady look. And, you know, the Bible says, don't let, any un, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. And so the idea was that this verse meant that we shouldn't cuss or you don't tell dirty jokes. And, and this guy who was really struggling with life, really having a lot of problems, you know, he just kind of got the, the, the Bible verse, you know, don't cuss. Uh, and that's, that's kind of the care that he got. Now, so when I, when I was growing up, that's what that phrase meant. Don't say a cuss word. Don't tell uh, a dirty joke. But actually, it's not what it means. 
So I, I, I suppose you can cuss and tell all the dirty jokes you want. I guess the, the, what you can take away from this message, not, not really. But that's not what this verse means. So when, uh, when the scripture says, don't let any un, unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, we need to know the New Testament was written in Greek. And of course that gets translated. And the Greek word for unwholesome there, unwholesome talk is sapros. If you want to say it, say it with me. Sapros. Sapros. Now, it's kind of S-A-P-R-S for us, but it's also, can kind of get confusing, but S-E-P-O, sepo, is a root word in Greek that that comes from. So, sepo. And if you think of any English words that sound like sep, sep, so like septic tank, septic tank, or sepsis, sepsis, or, you know, so if you think of a septic tank, um, I grew up in a, a rural town in Ohio, and there was no sewage system. So that means everybody has to have a, a septic tank in their backyard. And I remember um, my parents, I was probably nine or ten years old, they, they said, um, we need to get the septic tank cleaned out. And so they called a company called Roto-Rooter, and a guy came out in a truck, childhood memories, right? And a guy came out in a truck, and he opened up the septic tank in our backyard, and he got out this, this hose off the truck and stuck it down into the septic tank. And this guy's got a uniform and gloves, and, and he turns on this, in, this vacuum, I guess, in the truck and starts cleaning out the septic tank. And I remember I was looking out the back window, just fascinated all this was happening. Stuff's like spewing onto this poor guy, right? His gloves are brown, and, and the hose is just like, oh my gosh, and it just reminded me, like, I remember that. Sometimes I think my job is hard. Not, perspective is important. And so this guy cleaned out the septic tank. One of my childhood memories from 9 or 10 years old. I obviously have been traumatized by that experience. I still remember it. So the, the, the word septic there, that, that's connected to this word unwholesome. And then that's contrasted in this verse with building others up, which is oikodomain. Oikodomain. Oiko comes from oikos, which is house. So the, the word picture created here is, don't let any talk come out of your mouth that turns your relationships into a septic tank. Instead, speak in such a way that it builds up your home. Isn't that beautiful? That's a word picture, isn't it? It's not about cussing or telling dirty jokes. In the way that you speak to each other in, in a significant relationship or your office or at work or at school or in church, don't turn your relationships into a septic tank. Instead, build up your house, build up your home, build up your office, build up your church, build up your school. The words that you speak have the power to do one of those two things. And so I want, I want to be the kind of person who is fair in my communication because I value human dignity. I don't want to treat somebody like they belong in a septic tank. I want to be forthright and honest with them because I value honesty. I don't want to gossip about them. I want to speak with them directly. And then when I speak with them, I don't want to speak to them in a way that turns our relationship into a septic tank or that treats them like they belong in a septic tank. I want to speak to them in a way that builds up our house, that builds up our church, that builds up my workplace. And our words have the power to do that. Somebody in the well told me this story recently. We were making small talk. 
And it was something that, it wasn't even a long conversation, but I just, I really appreciated what she said. She said that she loves organizing, and so routinely she will go around her house like organizing things, which means moving things around. She loves uh, minimizing things and getting rid of clutter. And, and she said that whenever she organizes something around the house, she'll take her husband on a tour afterwards and show him where all the stuff is that has been moved. And she said he really appreciates that. And then, and then she said, and then another thing, she said, I don't touch his stuff. Now, you could say vice versa, no, no matter who the spouse is here. She said, I don't touch his stuff. I don't organize his stuff. My stuff or our stuff is fair game. I take him on a tour when it's our stuff. But I don't touch his stuff. And I said, oh, that's really wise of you. That's nice of you. And again, we're just making small talk. And then the next thing she said gave me insight into her character. And again, just small talk. This conversation lasted a minute or less. And she said something that I thought was wise and that I really valued. And I said, can I, can I tell this? I won't use your name, but I, can, I, can I tell this story? She said, I don't, I don't organize his stuff. And I said, that's really wise of you. And she said, I, I learned some things from my first marriage. And I, again, we're making small talk. And I just thought, that is a wise, humble honest thing to say. And my respect level just went up. I already had a lot of respect level for her, respect for her, but my respect level went up because that's somebody who's learning in life. I need to learn. We all need to learn. And she's somebody who is learning and is willing, she's aware of that. And she's, she's willing to say, I learned some things about how I communicate and how I, I treat my spouse. And then finally, Verse 32 says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. So the last thing I do, if I want to address the deeper issues in communication, is I want to be forgiving because I value humbleness. I want to be the kind of person who's forthright because I value honesty. I want to be the kind of person who's fair because I value human dignity. And I want to be the kind of person who values forgiveness or who practices forgiveness because I value humbleness. Healthy communication, healthy relationships are forgiving. It says be kind to one another. Be compassionate to one another. Forgive one another. This is the value question. Am I somebody who values kindness, compassion, grace, forgiveness, and humbleness? It's not about all the, the stuff that person's done that's making it hard to communicate. Who am I? What kind of person am I in our communication? And I'm, I'm going to confess to you, it has taken me years to learn that an argument, like in our marriage, an argument is not a debate. It's not a debate to win. I'm sure under my breath my wife's saying amen right now. When you have a discussion with somebody, no matter how close they are to you, your spouse, your significant other, a coworker. That discussion, that communication is not a debate to win. It, I'm 45, and I was today years old when I'm still learning that, that a discussion with somebody that you're in a relationship with is, is not an argument to win. It's not a debate to win, where if I just present all the, the right factual information and I'm just right, that means I win. And, and now everything in the relationship's fixed, and we don't, have to, we don't have to argue about it anymore. How silly is that? 
But that, that's been my assumption for years and years and years. So Psychology Today published an article entitled, The High Price You Pay for Winning an Argument. How's that for a title? It says, when someone loses or gives up in resignation, trust goes down and communication closes up. Even though active fighting may end, the underlying issues have not been adequately addressed and the differences between both parties have not been adequately resolved. When this is the case, the spirit of mutual support and cooperation is broken and both partners begin to see each other as adversaries rather than teammates. When this occurs, vulnerability is replaced with defensiveness, interrupting the flow of honest communication and each person becomes more concerned with personal protection than the establishment of a mutually satisfying outcome. This diminishes the feelings of goodwill that are necessary to reestablish trust and shared respect. Wow, how powerful is that? If you view an argument or relationship or just communication in general as having to win, as having to be right like a debate and you have to win, you can see how the other person begins to distance themselves, shut down, they don't, they don't want to be defeated by you, and then Instead of open communication, there's defensiveness and, and mistrust and seeing each other as enemies. And then all the other things we talked about earlier. You can see the downward spiral. And if this is you, if you're somebody who's kind of like me, I found a quote online that I want you to hear because it means something to me. It says, what do you call somebody who always wins arguments? Alone. Whew. See, to be... Forgiving means not just letting things go and the the definition of forgiveness that we often think of and and how for some of it feels impossible to forgive sometimes. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But to be forgiving means to be the kind of person who gives grace. So, for example, when you go shopping for golf clubs, if you you golf and if you're a bad golfer like me, you don't want the Tiger Woods clubs because the sweet spot on those clubs is tiny. And your swing has to be perfect and you have to make contact right on that tiny little sweet spot or the ball's going to go shoot off and, and slice like I do. What do you want in a set of golf clubs if you're a golfer like me? You want them to be forgiving, don't you? Golf clubs that give you grace. That means the, the sweet spot's huge on my, on my golf clubs. You can hit it on the heel or the toe or wherever you hit it. It's going to go fairly straight because those golf clubs are forgiving, they're just, they're just easier to work with. They just give you grace. You're just have, you just have a better time out on the golf course. If, if you're somebody like me and you have forgiving clubs. And Ephesians says to me, am I the kind of person who is forgiving in my relationships? Am I just kind of holding everybody to these tiny little sweet spots in my life, these expectations? Where if they get out of that sweet spot a little bit, I'm going to let them know about it. Or I'm just going to browbeat them or stonewall them? Or is, or is the sweet spot in my life big? Like the kind of clubs that Ryan Gear needs. Am I forgiving? Am I the kind of person who gives grace, latitude? I understand that people are people. I understand nobody's perfect. I'm not perfect. I'm forgiving because I value humbleness. I know that I need grace. I can't live up to my expectations. I need a bigger sweet spot than that. And so I'm forgiving. I give grace. Communication is not about winning an argument. This is important. It's important for me to see. It's not about winning an argument, but it's about winning the person's friendship. 
It's about winning the relationship. Now, that doesn't mean you let people trample all over you. And if they're really hurting you, then, well, I just value your friendship, so I'm going to be forgiving. That, no, that's, boundaries need to be set. If somebody is hurting you, if somebody's abusing you, get out. If somebody doesn't want to have a relationship, but you can't have a relationship with somebody who's lying to you all the time or who doesn't want a relationship with you or somebody who's neglecting you or doesn't care about you, you can't have a relationship with somebody like that. But if two people you know, who reasonably can have a relationship, if there's hope for the relationship, then communication is not about winning an argument, but it's about winning their friendship. I, I, I'm the kind of person who is forgiving because I'm humble, not what they did to me. Once again, I'm not talking about people abusing you and you say, oh, I forgive you and then you go back for more and they hit you again or something. That's not what I'm talking about. In normal relationships, I'm forgiving because I'm a humble person. I'm, I'm forthright because I value honesty. I want to be fair because I value human dignity and I want to be forgiving because I, I value humbleness. It's about the kind of person I am and I'll, I want to say this because it's important. What forgiveness is and what forgiveness isn't. And I'll do this quickly, but... I could give this every single week and it wouldn't be enough. If you have been hurt by somebody and the communication issue is there's this unresolved stuff like we talked about last week, there's so much residue in your communication. Forgiveness is not trust. Forgiveness is not just automatically uh, expecting that the person has completely radically changed and forgiveness is not trust. Trust is earned over time, isn't it? Forgiveness is instant. But trust is earned. Forgiveness is not excusing what happened. It's not pretending that it didn't hurt. It's not acting like it was no big deal. Forgiveness is not excusing what happened. Forgiveness is not forgetting. And the, the cliche is forgive and forget. But when, when something painful happens to you, your brain actually registers that. How many of you know that? If you put your hand on a, a hot stove burner, your brain says to you, don't you ever do that again. Your brain will remember. It will make you remember that hot stove burner. And so sometimes you don't forget. You, you don't want to dwell on it and ruminate and replay it all the time if you're trying to move on. But you may not forget. So forgiveness is not trust or excusing or forgiving. Here's, or forgetting. Here's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is the decision to free the other person from a penalty and to free yourself from bitterness. Does anybody want to say amen to that? That's what forgiveness is. It doesn't mean I trust you. It doesn't mean what you did wasn't wrong. It doesn't mean that I'm excusing it. It doesn't mean that I can forget it instantaneously. It just means I'm going to free you from the penalty and then I'm going to be free. That's what forgiveness is. So one closing story before we go. I was an associate pastor in a church back in Ohio before my wife and I moved here in 2012. And there's a couple named Bruce and Donna who celebrated their 60th wedding anniversary while we were there at that church. And they're, they're uh, kids and, and friends rented out part of the church building and they celebrated their, their 60th. And so you, like you do at one of those occasions, I asked them, okay, what's the key? What's the secret to 60 years of, of marriage? And Hannah and I were practically newlyweds when that happened. And, and you know, what's the secret to 60 years of marriage? And, and Bruce, you know, he started with the grandpa joke. You know, he said, uh, yes, dear, that's the secret, right? And, and he looked at Donna and they kind of chuckled and she, she rolled her eyes, I'm sure. Like, okay, right, whatever. And then after that, almost simultaneously, and I suppose when you've been married that long, a lot of times you do say the same thing, but almost simultaneously, they said, you know, what's the, what's the secret to 60 years? A lot of forgiveness. They almost said that at the same time. Lots and lots of forgiveness. 
And I thought, wow. You know, if you asked newlyweds that question, what's the secret to 60 years of marriage? You'd probably get an answer that sounds a lot more romantic than that. Wouldn't you? Keep the fire going and the passion and the romance. And those things are important. We should do those things as much as we possibly can. But after 60 years of marriage, I was just struck that after the grandpa joke of yesteryear, the very next thing they said was lots and lots of forgiveness. That stuck with me. And that says something about who I am. Am I the kind of person who wants to be forgiving? Ephesians says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. So here's an action step that you could take this week. If you want to get serious about reconnecting with people in its time when relationships are strained, in your communication with somebody this week, which area could you grow the most in this week? If you just focus on one area, communicating in a way that is one, forthright, two, fair, or three, forgiving. If you could focus on one of those things, think about a relationship where you, you need to communicate more, more effectively to reconnect with that person. If you just wanted to focus on one area of your communication, would it be being forthright and honest and upfront with them, direct? Not going to other people, but talking to them? Would it be fair? The way I talk to them, my facial expressions, the words I use, is that what I need to work on? Or is it forgiving? that I really do need to let something go. Or, or maybe I need to be the kind of person who is just like, who is more forgiving, like a forgiving golf club, and just chill. And realize I can't even live up to my expectations. And, and have a bigger sweet spot in your relationships. Which of those three areas on could you concentrate on this week? All right, let's pray. God, thank you for scriptures that that they're direct. These scriptures are forthright about the kind of issues we deal with that, that affect our relationships probably more than anything else. And learning those communication skills like active listening and, and nonverbal communication, all that is extremely important. Learning negotiation skills, we need to do that. And at the same time, you know, we may focus on that kind of surface level, on those skills, and then find that we can't do that. It's not working out. We try it, and then we fail, and we get in this cycle where we try and fail because there are deeper things going on. And these scriptures get to, the, get to those deeper things. The way I communicate with other people is not about them. It's about me. And the kind of person I choose to be And I have a choice. We are all empowered. We have a choice. No matter what the other person has done or what they've said, we have a choice in who we are. God has empowered us with that choice. It's a place of of immense power that we're able to choose who we are and how we communicate. I'm not not somebody who is a slave to my habits. Like, oh, I... I try to work on my relationship. I try to communicate better, but I just can't do it. No, we're not, we're not slaves. You've given us the choice to make commitments about who we are. And we can choose from these scriptures to be forthright, to not give in to fear and gossip or build alliances and, and, and tear somebody down because we're afraid to talk to them or just stonewall and not talk about it for years and years and years or... No, we we have the choice. We can be forthright. Why? Because we value honesty. We can be the kind of person who says, no, I want to be an honest person. And so I'm just going to directly and honestly communicate. 
with the, the, the exact person I need to communicate with. I'm going to go to them first, like Jesus said. And then I want to be fair because I value human dignity. In the way I communicate, I don't have to yell and rant and rave. I don't have to call people names. I don't have to do any of that stuff. I value human dignity. And so I'm going to be fair in my communication. I'm going to speak factually. When you do this, I feel this. I'm not going to speak out of fear. I'm going to be vulnerable. I, I, I feel sad when you do this. I feel hurt when you do this. And so I'm asking you, because I love you if, you, could, if you could do this. And then God, I'm, I want to be forgiving because I value humbleness. I'm not perfect. I have expectations for other people that I can't even live up to. And I'm not perfect. I've sinned. God's forgiven me. And I'm not going to withhold forgiveness. I'm not going to withhold grace from other people when God has given grace to me. Now, God, of course, that doesn't mean that we let people trample on us. We said last week, we quoted you, Jesus, don't throw your pearls to swine. Or they'll they'll turn on you, they'll trample the poor pearls, and then they'll attack you. You can't have a relationship with somebody who doesn't want to have a relationship. Forgiveness doesn't mean being abused. It's not trust, it's not excusing, it's not necessarily even forgiving or forgetting. Forgiveness means that I'm willing to set that person free from the penalty and move on and start over, start new. And at the same time, I realize this amazing truth that I have freed myself. And I don't have to be bitter like Ephesians says. Instead, I can be kind, I can be compassionate because I value humbleness. It's about who I am. And these three three things are needed to communicate effectively in any relationship. Marriage, dating, coworkers, church, school, extended family, parents, children. So God, what's one step we could take this week? We thank you for the way that your scripture guides us and frees us and helps us to reconnect with the people that we love the most. We thank you for the joy and the peace and the hope that comes from that. And we thank you that we get to feel that this week as we make these choices. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen.